0: In Psalm 26, David is rehearsing his case in preparation for standing before the Lord in judgment. Every person, every man, woman, and child will stand one day before God for judgment. The righteous will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the unrighteous before the great white throne. Sadly, most pulpits today are silent regarding the issue of God's judgment. Interestingly though, every major revival in history has in common one thing, that is preaching on God's judgment. The great revivalists of bygone eras such as Edwards and Whitfield, warned their listeners to flee from the wrath to come. So today if revival is to come to the church and the world at large, pulpiteers must recover not only the holiness of God, but also the truth that God will judge and all will stand before Him in judgment. So as we look at Psalm 26 this evening, as we look at David's rehearsal of his case before the judge, in verses 1 to 3 we're going to see David's request. In verses 4 through 8 we're going to see David's revulsion. And in verses 9 through 12 we're going to see David's resolution. Let's begin with verses 1 to 3 with David's request. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. David's request here for vindication is based first on his own trustworthiness and second on his trust in the Lord. The verb there, vindicate, means to judge, to decide controversy. David is inviting Yahweh to come in judgment. He's appealing to the witness of his own character. Here's the witness to prove I'm trustworthy. Look at my character as he stands before the great judge Yahweh. David makes the statement here that he has walked his way in integrity. Literally a sense of wholeness or an innocence. He's innocent of any charges being brought against him. And then in verse 2, David opens up himself to be examined by the ultimate judge, God. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. David now turns in verse 3 to the positive assertion that he has beheld God's loving kindness. That is, God's covenant love. Lord, I've seen your covenant love, and I've walked in the path of divine truth because of it. You see, when we see God's love, when we see that covenant love, we are looking at His redemptive saving work towards His people. And the reaction of that on our part should be that when we see God's faithfulness, God's loving kindness towards us, that we would walk in His truth, just as David did. And walking in His truth means obeying His word, obeying His law, obeying His will. Now again, Christian... As you're listening to this, remember you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to stand before the great white throne, but when the rapture of the church happens, the dead in Christ are are caught up out of the grave, and those who are alive remain are caught up with them in the air, immediately we're going to go to the judgment seat or the bema seat of Christ, and He's going to take all of the works, not our sins. Our sins are covered by the blood. But He's going to take all of our works that we have done, and He's going to test them to see whether they're worthless or worthwhile. If they're wood, hay, and stubble, they're worthless. They're going to be burned up. If they're worthwhile, they're going to come forth like gold and silver and precious jewels out of that fire, and they're going to be purified. And so, as we're being judged by our works, he's going to examine them. And if we were in David's position, as we will one day, what would we say? Could we say that we have walked in integrity? Could we say that, hey, we've walked, we've done what we've done out of innocence? Can we say that we have seen God's redemptive covenant love and my actions are actions of obedience to his word, will, and law? Let's look at verses 4 through 8. I do not sit with deceitful men. Now he's defending himself. We have his revulsion here towards, uh, towards evil and wickedness. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders or hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I shall not wash my, or excuse me, I shall wash my hands in innocence. And I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. That positive assertion in verse 3, where David said, I beheld God's loving kindness, is now followed with a fourfold negative assertion in verses 4 and 5. First, David says, I have not sat with deceitful men. The word for deceitful is used of idols, and it means worthless. I haven't sat with worthless individuals. How about you, believer? What kind of people are you keeping company with? Are they deceitful? Are they worthless? Second, David says, I will not go in with pretenders. Literally, hypocrites are those who conceal themselves. How about you, Christian? Do you find yourself hanging out with people who are... Hypocrites. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not referring to somebody who, you know, sins occasionally, makes mistakes or things of that nature. I'm talking about someone who is a hypocrite, someone who is deliberately living a double life. You hanging out with that kind of person? Third, David says he hates the assembly of evildoers, those who practice wickedness, those who run into mischief. Again, Christian. What, who, what kind of people do you hang around with? Are the people that you keep company with evildoers? Are they people that run the mischief? Are they people that enjoy doing evil? And then finally, fourth, he says he refuses to sit with the wicked, the unregenerate. He, he says I don't want I don't want to be in the company. I don't want to you know be with these type of people. I want to be with the people of God. And the reason why is because David knows good company. And bad company has different results. If you hang out with good company, it's going to have good results. But if you keep bad company, it's going to influence you in a bad way. David, since David is bound in God's covenant and he's walking in his truth, he says, listen, because of that, I cannot be with those who deny God, I cannot be with those who do evil, and I cannot be with those people who deceive men. Now, Christian, if you are looking at the love of God's, uh, love of God, his redemptive love, and, and because of that you've committed to, to obey his word, his will, his law, then, then there's no possible way, Christian, that you're going to want to be in with those who deny God, deceive men, and do evil. There's going to be something in you that, that's going to be revolting by it. Going to be revolting. You're going to you know, this is disgusting. Now, as we read these verses, we ought be, we, we would do well rather to ask ourselves: could I call upon God to vindicate me? Listen, it, it, it could you call on God right now to prove your innocence? How free are you to say, examine me, O Lord? Would you really want God to come down right now and examine you? Do you want God to know your mind and heart, or are there things in your mind and heart that you'd rather Him not know? How faithful have you been to His love and truth? How do you deal with idolaters when what they worship is money or patriotism? Do you stand with pa- hypocrites, or do you tolerate and excuse them in the church? What's your response to evildoers? Are you willing to enter into partnership with them? And if these questions cause you discomfort, good! Because this is a valid dress rehearsal for the day of judgment. These are the things that that, that he's going to examine you by. These are what he's going to examine your actions by. Now, having been examined by the Lord, David's ready to worship. He says, my life is bound by God's love and truth. I'm prepared now to enter into his holy presence. And he begins by promising to wash his hands. Now, the washing of hands in the Old Testament was a ceremonial sign of purity. We're innocent. And it's still the same today when it's talking about like lifting up holy hands. This is another way of, of expressing that, that your, your hands are cleansed, you're showing them to your Father, your Heavenly Father, and saying, Look, Father, my hands are clean. I'm innocent. How innocent are you when, when you worship the Lord? Next, he says, I'm going to walk around the altar and offer worship to Yahweh with the voice of thanksgiving. The point here is that his praise is public and vocal. And so his worship is very public. His worship here is very vocal. And it becomes a witness to others to tell of God's wonders. And the word rendered wonders here means surpassing extraordinary acts of God. David recalls God's past mighty acts in a liturgy of praise and witness, uh, uh, looks at his own experiences, and he sees in his life divine miraculous intervention. And such direct wonders continue uh, to be expected in the New Testament church. Luke tells us that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, paralleling, paralleling Jesus' own ministry in Acts 2.43. What is God still doing amongst, God, amongst his people today? Is he still doing the divine? Absolutely. Is he still doing the miraculous? Absolutely. Now, he may not be doing it the way he did it in the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean he's still not the God of miracles. It doesn't mean he's still not doing the miraculous. He is. David concludes uh, this section here in verse 8 by telling God how good it is to be with him. When is the last time you've told God how good it is to be with him? Lord, I love the habitation of your house. Indeed, David loves the house because of the one who lives there. Not because of the house, not because of the other people, but because of God. It is the place where God's glory dwells. Verses 9 through 12, we come to David's resolution. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hand is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. The sinners here that David prays that God will not identify him with are those who have missed the way. They've missed the mark. They've missed the standard. As Romans 3.23 says, they have fallen short of God's glory. David says, separate me from those. Why? Because those are going to stand at the great white throne judgment. Believe me, believer, while we may not want our works judged and while we, I'm sure, can testify to the fact that there will be much disappointment, And much rejoicing, but much disappointment at the beam of the seed of Christ. Far better to stand there and have some of our works burn up than to stand at the great white throne to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. Separate me from the sinner, he says. He also says, separate me from men of bloodshed. Separate me from those who scheme. Separate me from those who accept bribes in order to pervert judgment. Or excuse me, to pervert justice. Lord, Here's my resolution. Keep me from these wicked people. He says, God, do not gather my life with these evildoers. In other words, protect me from their sins and their faith. I don't want to go with them and fall under your avenging wrath. And so... Rather than follow sinners into destruction, David now promises to continue to walk in his integrity so that Yahweh will continually vindicate him. And with this vow, David can ask God to redeem him and be merciful towards him. The context of the word here, redeemed, means to be delivered from all accusations and all enemies. Indeed, that's ultimate redemption in God's presence. To be delivered from all accusations and enemies. And he also asks for mercy. You know, with God, David can now assert in the conclusion that his foot stand, or excuse me, his foot stands in an even place. He's not in an evil place. He's in an even place. He is securely grounded. He's on a level place. See, when God's people gather. With God's people, whether that's in the church or outside of the church, when we gather amongst believers, we're on level ground and we can bless the Lord. This closing word points eschatologically to the great consumption of all things. Because the true level place for us is God's kingdom in all of its fulfillment. There the redeemed will gather, there God's name will be praised, and there all evil will be put down. Friend, examine yourself. Check yourself. You're going to stand before the judge. Is he going to vindicate you? That needs to be your request. You need to pray before the Lord, whether this evening, tomorrow, the next day, or every day Lord, vindicate me. You need to be revulsed by evil. You shouldn't find evil pleasing. We're funny. We should be revulsed by it. And then you need to make a resolution. You need to commit your ways to the Lord that you're not going to walk with sinners or men of bloodshed or schemers or bribers, but that you're resolved to walk in integrity. Father God, I thank you for the word that you've set before us and this challenge to examine ourselves as David did here in preparation for judgment. Lord, we don't know when that day is coming, but we know it's coming. And really, we don't need to know uh, the the when it's coming. Just the fact that it's coming should be enough to arrest us into examination. And so, Father, I pray that we might look at ourselves, consider our ways, consider the company we keep, and ask, Father, whether it's pleasing to you. Ask whether or not we would be considered vindicated by you. Ask whether or not, Lord, we can... Uh, stand in your presence and be declared innocent. And Father, I pray that as we look at ourselves, we would say, God, know my mind and heart. God, help me to be faithful in your love and truth. Lord, help me to walk in your ways. May that be our prayer to you, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.